And when anyone is trying to interview an agency, talk to them about how long they have been in the industry, what you can expect from that strategy and when, how do they do link building, because that is very important for you not to waste money on something that's not going to work. Being informed, read the beginner's guide to SEO first prior to talking to agencies so that you know what they're saying and you can tell if they're overselling themselves, if they're scaling too much, if there is any um, expectation that they're giving you, how they are tracking, what they're tracking and what the results are. Just be a little bit informed in the SEO prior to hiring anyone. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Anne Smarty. Anne likely needs no introduction for most of our listeners, but know that Anne is one of the best in digital marketing and SEO. Today, Anne is the co-founder of Smarty Marketing, a client-first boutique SEO agency. In our episode today, Anne and I chat about her search and AI predictions for 2024, her recent report, the state of the link building industry in 2023, helpful content, algorithm updates, and more. This week's episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. My name's Nate, and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. We've been working on Positional for about 10 months, and we've built a handful of what I think are pretty awesome tools, including we've launched Content Analytics. Content Analytics is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content marketing and SEO team. We provide really granular insights into where users are dropping off within your pages. And we've actually just launched a couple of new capabilities too. We've launched click mapping and click tracking to give you better insights into where your users are clicking and converting. And we've also launched a more general heat mapping view too, alongside our read maps. We'd love for you to check out our entire tool set at positional.com. And thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been following you on LinkedIn and Twitter for a number of years. And for all of our listeners, you should absolutely go and follow Anne on all of those platforms after you listen to this episode. And so I'm really excited to chat with you today. And the first question I ask all of our guests is, how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? Like most of your guests, I think uh, that was by accident. I was uh, still in college. I was looking for a part-time job. I was hired as a customer service for a small e-commerce site uh, whose customer base was the United States. So they wanted someone who could speak English. That was back in Ukraine, by the way. This is where I moved from. (laughs) And um, just like that, I was promoted to the marketing agency, marketing side of things. Then I became the head of their marketing. I was... uh, involved in SEO, link building for that uh, website. And the rest is history. I started my blog. Actually, my boss at that time called me in and said, hey, I want you to be like Rand Fishkin or Jim Boykin. And I know that 2023 was a fairly volatile year in organic search. Looking back at the year that was, what do you make of all of the recent algorithm updates and and the changes that happened in organic search? Like most of us uh, in SEO, we are still keeping track of those updates. But the reality is that you just need a great website uh, because there is no clear uh, way to recover if you've been hit. So you just need to fix everything you have, regardless of the update. Some of them do require uh, an action like helpful content. You do need to do something to recover. Some of them do not, like um, core algorithm updates. You can go up and down with every update doing nothing. But if you have been hit, that's a good signal that there is something to fix on your site. And that's the overall uh, quality of your content, the change of how things work, usability, all of that should be evaluated and somehow fixed after, regardless of the update. Yeah, the older I've gotten, the more I've just tried to kind of do what Google says, which is like create, you know, great content for searchers and and don't necessarily worry about us. And I saw your recent tweet where you mentioned that Google figured out uh, a long time ago what was missing from search um, and that you went on to say that that 
likely is unique content with firsthand experiences. Um, and I know you mentioned just recently, like if you had been impacted by the helpful content update, you might need to make some changes. And so for all of our listeners that were impacted, what would you tell them in terms of actually improving the content on their websites? There is a good quote. I think that was John Mueller who said, just adding one thing to your content doesn't make it helpful. It's the whole change looking at your whole content strategy and changing things a lot, like actually changing what you're doing. My first step, I always suggest looking at the URLs that did gain what you have lost and trying to reverse engineer what in Google eyes is particularly helpful about that content. Is that some summary takeaways? Is that the downloadable asset that makes things easier for the reader? Is that a different angle that they are tackling with their content? Is there social proof or anything like that? So just looking at those higher ranking URLs will give you quite a few ideas of what Google is looking for because it is different from query to query, from topic to topic, from industry to industry. There is no one way to create helpful content. You need to try and find those unique things that Google is looking for and um, implement them in your content strategy. We had a recent guest on Mike Haney from Levels, and he said that his perspective on this is for each piece of content they create, like, what is your article adding to the internet? Like, are you saying something new? Are you delivering some unique value that, you know, doesn't already exist? How important do you think it is to actually add something new or unique to your pages that maybe like the top SERPs don't have? This is fundamental, I would say. And I know that there are many people who would say, hey, there is everything is written by now. Everything is covered by now. How can you add anything unique? But there is always a way. Is that a new way of looking at data? Is that a new way to visualize it or um, lay it out for the reader? Is there any way to um, try and find new angles about this topic? Or is this a way to add your unique expertise or firsthand experience to that article? There's always something new you can add. And usually that starts with who creates content because that unique combination of your experience with the topic and the topic that everyone already wrote about, when you combine that, there is always something unique coming out of that. Can those firsthand experiences be from other experts? And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like with our blog, Say, for example, we just published an article about guest blogging. And what we've tried to do is pull in like excerpts from this podcast into that post to like showcase some of our guests' recent thoughts on guest posting. Would you say that that's like an acceptable approach in terms of adding like first person experiences, even if they are not your own necessarily? Absolutely. I know that one of the best ways to find unique expertise is to ask actual experts and ask them for the quote. For example, the only thing is that there are too many roundups of experts talking on a singular topic, but there are usually these are not easy to read because they're not structured way. There's just a list of quotes from experts. So just making sure that you put the reader first and making it easy for them to find the information that has been provided to you by uh, those experts like maybe like a table of contents or takeaways or something like categorizing by topic and highlighting some of the key points in each. So structuring content is also very important in this way. And I'm not entirely sure how to ask this question. Say, for example, we're trying to add unique elements to our web pages. Maybe they're like expert quotes or like videos or images. Do you think Google's algorithms are able to like pick up on that differentiation and say, okay, this is like a unique result? Or do you think Google sees that those pages might actually be uniquely helpful on like the other end of things from like a data perspective in terms of how searchers are actually interacting with those pages? Maybe it might be like the bounce rate or uh, the time on page or some other metric that like Google is looking at to say like, okay, this page must have something unique to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, the algorithm is not perfect yet, 
they are still struggling to find the real uh, value of every content. And you, we can see that from search. There is still huge emphasis on the power of the publication, for example. You can see that if someone, if CNN does a um, comparison of products, it will probably re- outrank many of the smaller players, even if those that their content is much more valuable. So they are still struggling, but it is definitely the combination of things. They do learn from click but uh, that signal is not assigned to a particular page. It's the whole accumulation of of those signals for them to teach their um, algorithm to respond better to what is being interacted with. But you know that the top SERPs would definitely have more signals than anything that ranks page two, page three. So it's still limited data. So they cannot 100% rely on just interactions with uh, search results. So it's definitely a combination. I'm sure there is some uh, entity association. For example, if they find someone they know on that page, whether it's an expert or a known brand that contributed some hum- somehow to that page, that could be, yes, those signals uh, like um, data, if you can find uh, uniqueness of the content. Key Keywords again, still important. So all all of that uh, is the uh, is the combination. There's no one signal they could do they can rely on for that. I have to ask because we had like a pretty fierce internal debate over like the importance of like expert authors or expert quotes. Like, can Google actually like identify like who might be an expert? And then in theory, by including like experts into your content pieces or expert bylines on your site, would that actually matter? Um, And when I say debate, we had an internal debate. We probably should have recorded it. Um, But I guess my question to you is, do you think Google can like understand those people entities within your pages? And then by including more experts or more well-known folks into your pieces have, you know, would that in theory have a positive impact on the performance of your pages in search? Google would not admit it. But we do believe that including experts is a huge signal or authorship as well. My way of doing that, if you want to make sure that Google knows about that personal brand, uh, search for it. If there is a knowledge panel, Google definitely knows what what this person is and that uh, that is an expert in the particular topic. To make it easier for Google to connect all the dots, link to the official social media profile or official website of that person. You can see those links in the within the knowledge panel again. So use one of those because those are definitely some links Google knows I assigned to that authorship or to that expertise. So yeah, I definitely uh, agree with you uh, that, I mean, those was the debate. So, (laughs) but I'm on the side that says, yes, authorship is important. Expertise is important and Google can identify uh, those experts for sure. Well, you've agreed with my side of the debate. Sorry, Zachary, uh, have won this one, according to Anne. So my next point or next question, and I'll pull myself back to the outline here is Smarty Marketing. Uh, You started Smarty Marketing in October 2023. Is that right? Yep. I know that was the craziest time. Well, so that was my next question. Why was it the craziest time to start the agency in 2023? 2023 was the biggest, I mean, the most challenging a year for SEO for sure. First of all, there were like hundreds of updates. Many of them were all overlapping. Everyone was going crazy. And the AI, um, everyone was questioning the future of SEO overall uh, because we don't know how uh, generative AI is going to impact search behaviors and whether people are going to use traditional search anyways. Also, not many, many, many businesses were pulling their budgets from marketing because of the uh, budgeting issues that year. So that's why it was not the best year to start a company. But I mean, I've been in SEO for about 20 years now. And for all those years, I've been relying on myself and my personal brand and what I'm doing. So if it's writing something, I'm sitting down and write something. I don't remember having a non-working vacations for the whole time like it's very it's crazy so my my biggest uh, motivation behind starting company was to build a team that i could rely on and not to be involved in everything and that is being done and 
bringing income. Uh, I still do not regret doing that, but it was very challenging for sure. Yeah, we've heard from a number of guests recently on this podcast that 2023 was like the hardest year in the last few for agencies, both like SEO agencies, content agencies. It, it feels like it was just a really hard year, but it's awesome to see that you've started this new agency and, and we'll, of course, include a link uh, back to Smarty Marketing in the show notes. And speaking of predictions, speaking of change, I do want to talk about your recent predictions for 2024. Um, I know that you usually refrain from making predictions about SEO, but you posted on LinkedIn that you've got six predictions for AI and search in the year ahead. And I want to unpack a few of these. Um, the first is that human touch will gain popularity and demand. What do you mean by that? So AI will is already and will be even um, more uh, introduced into our lives on many levels. There will be AI customer support, AI communities, AI influencers, AI everything. And um, from COVID, I uh, there is one huge takeaway from all those COVID at, um, lockdowns when we could not meet in person other people was that human still want to be with human beings it's uh we could not be we could not be happy with all those virtual rooms with all those 3d productions of museums or whatnot we do need people so that is the opportunity for smaller businesses to stand out and uh, gain some um customer base going forward when they show that there are real human beings there when uh, we when they do meetups when they have real human customer support when there is a real person and real story behind every any business so all of those aspects of humanity in, in behind a small business or a big business will be very important and will be will make it easier to to stand out in the crowd of all those AI generated uh, things that we are going to deal with. Your second prediction, we might have already touched on this one already, is that firsthand experiences will be even more important for findability. AI driven content repurposing will push more and more people to look for real stories and Google will learn to surface them. So my next question is, how will Google learn to surface them? They don't know that yet. Even even they don't know that. We we see them trying. Uh, did Did you notice how much Reddit gained popularity in search results? Like we have a separate section now that's called forums and discussions. Reddit is be, is ranking for just about any query organically as well. Those Reddit threads and those uh, are real people discussing real things. Their experience with movies, with products, with brands, with uh, um, finding anything they want, uh, how recommendation and all of that. The reason Reddit is so important is that there is a human moderation behind every subreddit and they, they are very good. It's a community of very hardworking people who actually do that for free, but they are so committed to making it, um, to making it high quality discussion that very few um, spam attempts or AI generated content is making it to Reddit. So Google is trying to highlight that. So from that, we know that Google is looking for real people discussions and experience. Other than that, all the attempts like highlighting Quora, highlighting forums, highlighting Google groups <laughs> are not as successful because those are not as high quality and human first discussions as Reddit, but we can see that they are trying. I would like to see them trying even harder and trying beyond Reddit. I think that's something they are working on, but not yet sure how to accomplish that. Um, they do have a human first experience in several of their guidelines now, like product uh, review updates, they do mention that you have to have a firsthand experience to, to review any product and show that, make a video of you using that, make a picture, a unique photo of you using that, tell us how you rate that product and why, what did you do to rate it? So um, from that update, we also know that Google is looking for all kinds of signals, so like unique videos, unique um, ways of describing something. We know that it's it's trying hard to to highlight firsthand experience, but they don't know yet how to do that well. Yeah, we, we have a few customers that were caught up in that product reviews update. And they said to me, like, Nate, like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, well, you're just regurgitating a bunch of crap from a bunch of other places that also like 
got hit in that penalty. Um, but then when I look at some of the sites that have like truly done well through that product reviews update, they're like physically buying products and taking pictures and creating videos and like they might even be couches in some cases. And so, yeah, it seems like Google kind of, it seems like all of this is kind of interwoven and co connected, but it, it definitely feels like Google is looking for those signals that your pages are unique and authentic to you. And there's, there's probably a lot of ways to do that. Your third prediction is that mature SEO will be more in demand than ever and getting found will be even more challenging. So businesses will look for SEO professionals who can plan and execute a long-term SEO strategy that be that goes beyond on-page tweaks and links. So we work with a lot of startups at Positional and like a little part of me dies every time I see like an SEO agency spend like three months doing a technical SEO audit on a site that's got 15 pages. Um, and it's very hard to find a good SEO agency. And so I guess my question here is like, if I was hiring an SEO agency, what would you look for? I would definitely look for someone who is not providing you with shortcuts like it, the expectation needs to need to be set very clearly that this is a year long at least strategy where we look at competitors look at what they're doing um provide you with content optimization and creation uh, services uh, and there is always something unique like when i when a client comes to my site and asks for a template of the report that i'm i'm doing and like i don't have a template every site has different problems and i can show you something that we did for someone for but it's not going to be a representation of what i will do for you because definitely you will have something different, absolutely different to work on. So all those, the unique uh, approach is very unique, is very important these days because SEO has been scaled for so many years. Like the client comes in and it gets the package of services everyone else is getting, regardless of what their problems are, what updates they were going through and suffering from and all of that. So my, my re reply is here, it is challenging. It, the entry in the SEO industry is too easy. Everyone can call themselves SEO without even realizing what it is. Technical SEO is definitely important, but for huge websites. So um, for smaller websites, that's usually finding long tail opportunities or keyword gaps or something like that for them to stand out and then creating a very good content strategy around that. That can be one important page, one key page, and then lots of supporting uh, content. So it's always different for every website that comes in. And when anyone is trying to interview an agency, just Talk to them about how long they have been in the industry, what you can expect from that strategy and when, how do they do link building, because that is very important for you not to waste money on something that's not going to work. Being informed, read the beginner's guide to SEO first prior to talking to agencies so that you know what they're saying and you can tell if they're overselling themselves, if they're scaling too much, if there is any... Um, expectation that they are giving you how they are tracking what they are tracking and what the results are so just be a little bit informed in the seo prior to hiring anyone we're about halfway into this episode of the optimized podcast and i just want to bring you a special note from one of our sponsors that being positional if you're anything like me, you probably love internal linking, but you probably don't do enough of it. And it probably takes a ton of time to find missing internal links throughout your old pieces of content and then internally link the new pieces you create. And that's why we built internals. We'd love for you to check out our internal linking tool set at positional.com. And that was a word from our sponsors. Now back to this episode. I think that's a great point. Um, and I always encourage, especially earlier stage startups, to at least try it yourself for a couple months just so you'll be better prepared to actually hire someone to do this work for you. So many businesses are so ill-informed. They are such an easy target to all those spam emails uh, saying, hey, I can put you in this 100 blogs about your product. Uh, I put, I can put links there. And so many businesses just buy that because they, they, are, they have no idea. This is just sad. I always say 
read a little bit about SEO and try to get a little bit better into in it. It's not rocket science, definitely. You can read a beginner's guide and have a very good understanding of what's going on and what you're paying for. Yeah, I actually think SEO has gotten a lot simpler over the years. I've been doing SEO for about 10 years. Would you say that like SEO has maybe gone a little bit simpler in the last 20 years that you've been working in the space or is it as complex as it was 20 years ago? I have never been at technical SEO, for sure. I, I If there is any technical work that, that needs to be done on the site, I usually uh, hire a developer or use mine because I have a full-time developer for that. With the content strategy, I have mixed feelings uh, here. When I started 20 years ago, it was much more fun. It was like Wild West. <laughs> uh, you could buy a link from PR8 and see your rankings go up like within two weeks. So you could the correlation was crazily uh, predictable. Uh, these days, it's not it's easier to do, but it is much harder to monitor to to track the results to to put any correlations what 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 I did wrong on what I did right is very hard to to predict now uh, or find any correlations so I I have a mixed feeling here when responding to this well I definitely agree with you there even in my time in the last 10 years it's been a lot harder to understand the work that we do and the impact that it has or like you say correlate it to like a movement for a specific keyword or performance for a specific page and I do want to talk a lot about link building. And I know that you recently put out that report, the state of the link building industry in 2023. And I know that you spend a lot of time thinking about link building. How important are backlinks heading into 2024? They are very important, not even as the direct signal, but links are much more than just direct signals like page authority or what they're called, what it is called these days. Links contribute much more. They do uh, entity associations. If you if you get a link next to a very well-known competitor or a brand in your industry, this is co-citation link building that makes sure that Google understands these two brands are related. Uh, they do authority building for, for the brand or person associated uh, with that site. Uh, if you read the uh, news p- publishing guidelines, uh, there is an explanation that if you if if your news is associated with a publisher that's with a higher topic authority, it will rank better. So there is that signal too, and it is built by links. And yes, as direct signal sending the vote uh, to the link page, it is also very important. But it is again very hard to say these days, which links did contribute to that power, how much link equity was uh, sent to the link page. It is very hard to tell these days, but it's that's why many people say link building is dead, link building is dead, because they build links from some pages that passed no uh, equity at all. <laughs> so a good link is still key, but the majority of those links that are being built these days just do nothing for rankings. So it sounds like a good link, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is one that you get from a relevant page, hopefully like an authoritative source, but maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be one as long as that page is just very relevant. It sounds like having your link placed in a area of the internet of, you know, some amount of association to your industry or your competitors might be important. What else do you look for in terms of like a link being a good link? to acquire? Well, links that send traffic, clicks, links that are not clicked are useless. And I'm sure Google understands that as well. And also the most important thing is that you had no no influence on how that link looks or which part of the page it is placed on. So purely editorial links, if the majority of those that you get, you had no impact on. I mean, paid links still work, and let's face it, uh, they they do. We don't know exactly which of those paid links worked. That's why paying for links is mostly a waste of money, but they do. So sometimes when there is a, like the page you described, if there is a way to pay pay for a link there, sometimes it is okay. I don't do that, but some clients do, and I'm like, (laughs) I don't don't recommend that, but... (laughs) It's your site. But if you had no zero impact on that link, that's the best link. 
and clicks, links that are getting clicks. So to reverse the question, what would be like an unhelpful link or what would be the characteristics of a link that just wouldn't add too much value to your site? I would not get a link from any people that say, hey, I have a list of links of, of blogs or websites. Which links would you get? Even if those uh, sites have high traffic, a lot of backlinks, uh, even if they're relevant, I would never do if it's paid link or link exchange, I would refrain from that. And the reason is because it's a bad neighborhood. If that person came to you, definitely has a huge list of site of uh, businesses that uh, he is giving links to, and Google just knows uh, that that is a waste of uh, link equity. There would be no no reason. There are no penalties, almost no penalties. I've seen one penalty in uh, six months. Uh, from a single website that did get did get the manual penalty, uh, so it's not as dangerous as it used to be, but it's just a waste of time and money. So any time when there is a possibility uh, that um, there is a bad neighborhood in that, when you pay for link or link, do link exchange with the site, I would refrain from that definitely. Other than that, it, it's case by case. So it's I don't have strict rules here. If the site has a traffic, if it's relevant, I would pursue that in uh, regardless of the uh, domain authority or, or all of that. Just don't place yourself in a bad neighborhood. That's my biggest thing. Thank you. Yeah, I our customers will ask me all of the time. And by the way, we're not an agency, but they will still ask me a whole bunch of questions. And they'll say like, oh, we only want links from like high DR sites. And I'll say to them, well, you can still get really helpful and good links from like highly relevant sites to your industry or your customers or your product, um, even if those sites aren't a high DR. Um, so I, I agree with you there. And actually, it's interesting you mentioned link exchanges because in your report, you found that 27% of the SEOs surveyed actually do build links from link exchanges. And I see like a lot of really large companies doing link exchanges that you wouldn't expect. Should we just not be doing link exchanges? Is it a total waste of time? It's a total waste of time. It has been a total waste of time for many years. If you can get a link from a huge site with a huge traffic, and you give uh, a link from a small site, maybe, maybe I would go for that. But on a large scale, I would never, I would never rely on link exchanges as my main backlink strategy. So just diversifying your links is not a bad idea. You cannot rely on a single uh, method of building links for sure. Like if we do, for example, link building from uh, using. Uh, infographics or visual assets or free tools or something like that. I always encourage my clients to go and try to get links on their own as well. Like get interviewed. Um, I don't know if you have a good friend, exchange links with him. It's it's not a problem. Just don't waste your time on the large scale link exchange strategy. That's that's the biggest thing here. Yeah, and I totally agree with you that like types of links and having diversity in the types of links you build is super important. Um, and I know in the report, it was mentioned that guest blogging is still one of the most popular tactics. What do you make? Do you, Are you doing guest posting? Do you still, still think that's a great strategy for building backlinks? I have a very funny story uh, when it comes to guest blogging. Years ago, I think it was 2012, I started a guest blogging community where people could come in and uh, exchange articles for free. No money required just to like my article, publish it. It grew to the extent that I could not control it anymore. It was my bloggist. And several years uh, later, when Google started fighting guest blogging, when we started, guest blogging was not, only, not even a keyword, just so you know. Our brand name became our biggest keyword. So no one knew what it was. So I'm kind of guilty of making it popular. When Google started fighting against guest blogging, they penalized our community even though like we were not encouraging anyone to do that filling building. But it was a good way to make an example of us saying, because we were a big brand, everyone knew us, everyone was using us. And um, it was penalized. And now years after, I think it's 10 years later, I still see gas blogging as a popular link building tactic. I have those mixed feelings. It's, I posted somewhere, it's like when your kid becomes a celebrity, 
but he is still somewhat a disappointment. <laughs> this is my feeling uh, towards guest blogging. I do encourage anyone to still guest blog, but not on a large scale. A good guest post is something that you you post on a huge site in your area. It could be a newspaper, huge publication. And hopefully uh, you have a recurring column there where you continue uh, talking about the topic of your expertise and all those um, uh, posts, all those articles are not just for links, but they attract customers, they attract traffic, subscribers, whatever your goal is. So there is something should be more behind that effort because articles are hard to write, especially for big publications. So there is there should be something more behind uh, that um, strategy than just link building. Guest posting for links is not a good span of your time. <laughs> so just try to get more out of that, not just links. Yeah, I remember hearing about like Google taking action on that guest blogging community that you built. When was that? Was that back in like 2014 or something like that? Yes, it was 2014. I think I started it uh, in 28. Yeah, the, I think it was. And then it, it existed for six years then before it got analyzed. Yeah, I remember that. So essentially like Google got access to this community and then like went and found like all of the people who were trading guest posts with each other. Yeah, they penalized not just us, but all the users that we were using the site, even though like everyone was so I think ours was the first public penalty that uh, the SEO community was not happy about. Everyone was picking up that uh, you can just you cannot penalize the community. It's not, it's not a network. It's not a paid blog service or anything like that. It was a community where people could freely join and find the sites to guest post for or articles to publish. So yeah, it was, it was a huge news. Sometimes uh, people would refer to that uh, huge penalty as Smarty Update <laughs> because there were so, there were so many uh, penalized. It was quite easy to, to tell you the truth. It was very easy to get out of that penalty. It was mostly for PR than uh, anything else from Google because no one did anything wrong. If I remember back, that, that was when I was like just starting in SEO. And I like think that was the first time I heard about you was through that whole, you know, manual penalty kind of type situation. For many years, Yes, people knew me as guest blogger and uh, then as the penalized guest blogger. <laughs> so I want to talk about 2024. And I know you spend a lot of time with your clients on linkable content. And there are a few different types of linkable content. Maybe you could tell us what is linkable content? How do you create it? And then how do you distribute that linkable content? There are several ways to approach that. Uh, we have a very good uh, process and a very that we've been doing for six years, I think. So that's our specialty. But there are many ways to approach that. What we do is we find or create or collect data on the topic of our clients, like any statistics that we could, uh, you can think of. We can do survey their customers or buy uh, survey results from Facebook ads, or we could just find public data on it on this topic. Then we visualize it. There's a lot of data that we visualize. It's very data heavy, and we publish it on the client site. So when it's published, we go to Reddit. And we do manual outreach to journalists and reporters on that topic. And um, most of them go viral. Some of them do not. But the key is here that we try to find a topic that could rank. There is a search volume behind that keyword. And once that asset is ranking in top five, it gets links on a regular basis without us doing anything for that anymore. Uh, so that's the process. So it's like long-term linkable asset that gets links from Google because many reporters and journalists and bloggers, they are all using Google to find statistics, to find uh, data about anything. And because ours is very well visualized, it's very att it's attracting links uh, and uh, people are also using the, the image on their site, on their, in their articles as well. So that's our process. There, are, there may be many more ways to approach that, but it is effective because it's um, long-term. So in a year, usually within a year of publication, this is one of the biggest traffic page of our, of our client site. 
because of that rankings and those backlinks as well. I love that you're aligning the data or the linkable asset to like a keyword that you also want the client to rank for. I don't think that's something I've done a great job of in my career. I've done a lot of like data-driven studies and reports, and they were always like topically related to the keywords that I was trying to rank for, but I was never actually trying to rank my reports or studies or data in search for an intended keyword. But like you said, if you can, then it'll just lead to like natural link accumulation over time, which is amazing. And it always surprises me. I know you mentioned free data that's just out there on the internet. There are so many sources of information of free data out there from like the US Census Bureau, like the FBI's crime database, like there are so many of them. And so I always encourage companies to like look out for like what's free already out there on the internet that you could just kind of repurpose and package into an easier to understand graphic. When a client comes in, we usually start with something that's available out there because it's just easier. Collection data does take some time, but we usually do recurring like every month, every two months, every three months, those infographics and visualizations. So it's usually a mix. Sometimes we use unique data provided by the client. Sometimes we go and uh, collect data ourselves. And sometimes we use public data. Like you said, there is a lot to to create. And usually uh, if you you do that right, and we've been doing that for many years, so now we have a bad idea of what goes hot on Reddit. And that's a the great place to find those link amplifiers, like lots of bloggers and journalists and uh, even small site owners use Reddit uh, to create, to find inspiration for content. And that's also a great way to collect those initial links that then will help that infographic to rank in Google. Yeah, well, you've got some great graphics on the report uh, that you've published on link building uh, that we will include a link to in the show notes. So you've built at least one link today. Um, and yeah, just as a personal, like favorite kind of anecdotal story, we, we used to do a lot of data-driven content and like one of my personal favorites each year was like our lottery tickets survey. Um, so like in the United States, like people buy scratcher tickets and lottery tickets and, um, each year, like the, the States will release like data on how much their constituents spend on lottery tickets. Um, And so each year we would do a report on like, how much do people in New Jersey spend on lottery tickets? And then anytime like the Powerball or Mega Millions got to like a big number, like 500 million or a billion, journalists were constantly going back to those reports that we created and pulling that data into them. Um, to say like, hey, this is how much people spend on lottery tickets. That is a great story. I wish we, I could share some of our stories, but those usually are clients. But yeah, sometimes you get to a topic and then you realize that there's a recurring opportunity for that to do more and more and get known by providing those reports. That's that's always a great strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You can start to build a relationship with those journalists over time when you can start to listen to them too. Like if they have ideas for like data that they need or haven't seen before, I've always loved creating that data for them um, because it then kind of guarantees that someone at least is going to link to me. Yeah, a quick tip. If you want to create a linkable asset now, AI is the topic that every journalist is up is uh, up for. Like, it's so easy to promote. It's unbelievable. So, there's if there is any connection between your industry and AI, you can re- you can survey business owners, your peers, on how they're using AI and launch that report. It goes like crazy everywhere. So, that's a quick tip for you. I imagine at least half of our listeners have some sort of AI component to their businesses. So. Super helpful and super tactical. Um, and I do want to get more tactical. You mentioned topical authority is the most powerful ranking signal on your website. Could you just like quickly explain what topical authority is? And then as a second follow-up, how important are backlinks when it comes to building topical authority? The explanation is very easy. When you are known as a, an expert in something, it could be a broad topic or it could be a, uh, an angle in your industry, like narrow expertise as well. For example, I once was known as a guest blogger. I was a guest blogging expert. Now I'm just known as an SEO. So it's much broader area of expertise. It takes time to develop because you need to write a lot about that topic and you need to guest post on that topic so that Google sees you on some very well-known publishers uh, and in your area or outside of it, it doesn't matter. So you need to have that consistently good content 
with consistently good links and social signals. I mean, social signals are not a signal, but they drive uh, people, they drive backlinks as well. So those are important as well. So once you're known, and there are other ways, like if you publish a book on Amazon, that's a huge signal contributing to your topical authority. If you go, if you create a course on Udemy or something, it's a funny story. I've been known as SEO for many years. Then I published some uh, a, core, a free course on Udemy. And somehow <laughs> everyone was like, oh my God, that's an expert. <laughs> so trying all those different things and connecting all of those on your bio page for Google to know that's all you. At some point, whether you have uh, the knowledge panel or not, you will be known as an expert on that. And then anything you touch will have that uh, signal of um, authority and expertise on it if you remain within your topic. Like if if I start writing about um, productivity now, I would not be an expert there. So I would I would need to take time to write and write and write and share, share, share different tips on that and articles to build up that area of expertise as well. So it's it's also very niche related. Do you think topical authority or having it will increase your chances of getting displayed in a tool like SGE or ChatGPT? Oh, absolutely. I have a funny story. I was uh, searching ChatGPT and a few other, including uh, Google's uh, CGE. Uh, what is smarty marketing because it's such a brand new uh, community so i was trying to i mean brand new site i was trying to see if those or if those ai um, platforms know about it well they can search now so they searched they didn't know about me but when they searched they found my that site and they immediately associated that with nsmarty so when i search for that site um and then they said, it's a boutique marketing agency, blah, blah, blah. And then co-founded by Anne Smarty. And the whole rest of the explanation was about me. That's what they know. So they didn't have to search for that. So having those associations with uh, someone that is in knowledge base, or whether it's Google or AI, uh, OpenAI or Bing, so having that association with the brand is so powerful because suddenly it's all bragging about my expertise. It's uh, talking about uh, why it is trustworthy, what they're doing. So it's absolutely different handling of the topic when they can find those branded associations. That's why becoming an expert and known expert is so important. If you have, uh, if you have a founder, co-founder, or like writer for your site that is known to Google to to open ai there's a much higher chance that you will get recommended by those uh, platforms when people searching for something like seo agency or something like that and i have just one more question before we get to the lightning round i saw a recent tweet of yours where you googled spirit halloween reviews and you noticed that google's sge placement was actually fairly negative about spirit this is the halloween costume store and you mentioned that brands, they might be losing control of their branded search unless they start acting now. What do they need to do? Well, the reputation uh, management strategy remains the same. You want more reviews from preferably from people who liked you. Uh, you need, and not just in uh, Google, it's like everywhere, Yelp, if you're in a, a services-based company, that could be different sites as well. So you need more reviews on many sites. That's the first step to any reputation management strategy. You need those reviews. And the next step, you need to control more of your branded search results so that when Google, Google's search generative experience snapshots are just summaries of those results. So you need to give them food so that they can summarize not negative reviews, but they would go to your social media profiles, to your sites, to pages that talk positively about you. So you need to rank them higher. You need to make sure that you control more and more of those top results, and not just for your brand name, but for all those uh, queries that come up in auto-suggest results. 
Most of them would be reviews, deals, uh, is it legit, coupons, all of that. So controlling as much of that as possible will make sure that the summaries of those results will come out positive and will mention you in a positive light. Heck yeah. And if it's okay with you, I've got just a few questions in the lightning round. Does that sound good? Sure. The disavow file. Should we be using it or is it just totally pointless in 2024? I haven't been using it much anyways for the couple of years now, I mean, maybe for a year. But yeah, my prediction for 2024 is that it is going away. Google has learned to understand links much better now, what to put in their link graph, what to ignore. They don't even use nofollow now as they used to. It's not a directive anymore. So that's how good they are now. They don't need those uh, uh, signals from us saying, hey, this is a bad link. This is a good link. So yeah, I would not waste your time unless you get a manual penalty, which is very, very rare. If you were penalized, then you probably need to look at uh, that file as a last resort. I mean, what else can you do? Yeah. Can nofollow links be valuable? Yes. Absolutely. I don't care about these days. I don't care about whether the link is no follow or follow. Google did say they are not using it as a directive anymore. It's more of a hint. They can follow or no follow that link based on what they think about that link and based what where it is placed. So now I don't care. Anytime I get a link from a good site, like if, I, if I'm guest posting, for example, for a huge site, but they know follow all external links. I don't care. I would still spend a lot of time writing that article and pursuing that uh, opportunity. Haros? Is that a still a good link building method? I think it was sold to someone. I haven't been using it a lot lately. It takes time. We usually focus on direct outreach to bloggers and reporters. If you uh, want to get a feel of what is being uh, in demand in your industrial topic, I would encourage anyone to register there and try it. But it hasn't been effective for me for many years now. And I think I've heard that it was sold to someone and it became even less effective. Smarty marketing. What can you do for your clients and for the listeners of this podcast? We can fix your SEO. Like I said, uh, anytime a client comes in, it's a special flower. I do the strategy myself for SEO, whether it's uh, updating, creating, uh, getting links, uh, getting editorial calendar based on SEO and competitors. Uh, planning your whole site structure based on how your competitors are doing that and based on keyword research and search journeys. So we do all of that. We do the whole thing for SEO. We do not do PPC, but we do social media. We do blog outreach. We do journalist. We do creation of those linkable assets. We do content planning. We do analysis. We do ranking tracking. So all of that, basically the whole, anything you can think of, we do, but we don't sell all of that to every client comes in. So we do ba- we do have a separate offering for every client based on their priorities because sometimes you don't need backlinks. You need fixing your site architecture to surface more of your content. So we will not sell you linkable assets. We will start with fixing what needs to be fixed first. Well, and this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. And we will make sure to link to uh, the few different social posts that I mentioned on this episode, as well as to the the Smarty marketing site and your link building report too. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This week's episode of the Optimize podcast is brought to you by Positional. You probably know by now that my name is Nate and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And we've built what I think is a pretty awesome tool set for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a few features you'd expect, like tools for keyword research and keyword tracking, but we've also got a few tools that you've maybe never seen before. For example, internals for internal linking and content analytics, which is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content team. It helps give you insight into where in your pages you might want to come back and improve. We've got about eight tools and we'd love for you to check them all out at positional.com. 